Praise God, may our thoughts, words, and actions be holy and acceptable in your sight for me. God, our rock. Happy All Saints Day. It's nice to have a feast day in the middle of everything that's going on. All Saints Day is a time to remember those who have gone before us in a day when we look to them as an example. And we look to them for inspiration for how to live good and godly lives. For this particular feast, out of our three-year lectionary cycle, two of the years featured the Beatitudes, one from next year and one from Luke. This morning we heard the Beatitudes from the Gospel of Matthew. And I've always wondered why the Beatitudes, why this particular part of Scripture on this particular Tuesday? What does it mean to proclaim the Beatitudes on the Father? So let's consider what the Beatitudes in the Gospel of Matthew are. Throughout Christian thought, there have been three sort of common understandings of what the Beatitudes in the Gospel are. The first understanding is that they are words of grace, sort of words of comfort to those who are in need, encouragement for the life that's tough. The second understanding is that the Beatitudes are difficult to sort people. They sort of tell us how to live Christian lives. And the third way of thinking in our tradition is to view them as community regulations. It's sort of a declaration saying this is what it means to live together The Swiss theologian Olaf Lutz argues that these three things are not necessarily mutually exclusive. Difficult expectations can be comforting, and community regulations at their very core are nothing but Another way of thinking about these comes from the theologian Norman Custer. He describes the attitudes as a sort of early form of catechism, a way of instructing Christians how to live within the community in the world. And if you listen to them, they almost have a liturgical feel to them. You can hear us reciting them every week in place of like the creed or something like that. This repetitive Because the Beatitudes are a way to teach us how to live with others and with the world, we think that's why they're so particularly appropriate for today. On all things, they remember the exemplars of Christian faith and were exhorted to follow in their footsteps. And here we have a basic distillation of what it means to be a Christian. All things, then, can be a day that calls us to realign ourselves with the gospel, to recommit ourselves to live more godly lives and to follow more closely in the way of Jesus, in the same fashion that all those who have come out of the community remember today is As part of this, in a few moments, we're going to renew our baptismal vows, the promises we made or were made on our behalf. And we will once again take those pledges on 
practical values speak of continuing to be an active part of the Christian community, striving to be in right relationship with God, being evangelists in what we say and do, loving all people, and being peacemakers to justice and These are good and holy things to aspire to, and always so grateful for their reminder that they're a sort of reason but in a similar way, what, what are the beatitudes and beatitudes? Who are they calling us to be? How can we refocus ourselves through these words to bring comfort, to bring comfort to the of the other world itself? I think when we turn to that, the beatitudes, one of the problems is that some of the words are sort of Bible concepts. They're only things that we hear in church. They're not words that we use in the everyday For example, the first theology, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they are the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? I don't think that's anything that we would say in normal everyday lives, and I think it's a little confusing. But it refers to a metaphorical property in the human spirit. Taylor's own describes the poor in spirit as those who regard, who in regard to their inner love, stand before God as brothers, with the feeling of their inability to help. I love this image of standing before God as a Savior with nothing to be totally dependent on. I think for me it also brings up images when Jesus says that we must be like children and enter into the kingdom of heaven. We must be totally dependent on God. It's acknowledging that we are not enough in and of ourselves. This spiritual poverty is a form of humility. Being humble before God. The next beatitude says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, I think we can rightly understand this as people who are mourning for an individual situation. For example, when we lose somebody that we love, but there's also a larger connotation here. It's sort of a general mourning, a mourning over the state of the world, a mourning over the conditions of humanity. When I think of this beatitude, I think of Sister Mary Gabriel and of the Society of St. Margaret, who passed away a few years ago. And in my conversations with her, we would talk about how discouraging it is when we look at the state of the world, how there are so many people in poverty, how there are so many people that are hungry when we show up to regularly. And Sister Mary Gabriel would tell me that she would pray the news. And every night as she watched the news broadcast, she would pray along with her. For everything that she saw, she would offer it up to God. Sister Mary Gabriel is a woman who mourns. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This idea of meekness, 
again, something that we don't really talk about in the day. Our lives are so when we sing about Mary, Ruth, and Rose. We might think of Ruth as being Ruth. Where poverty and spirit is humility in relation to God, meekness is humility in relation to others. This humility on the core is the admission that we need each other. That we don't work out of alone. That there is no such thing as being self-made. We are nothing but our relationship. An interwoven connection of relationships. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be fulfilled. Hunger and thirsting mean that we long for righteousness and that we actively pursue righteousness. And from the beginning of our faith, Christ is the essence of righteousness. So this is a longing to be like Christ. And it's driving to be Christ for the spirit of the world. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Being merciful means showing grace, forgiveness, and compassion for all those who are enemies. The theology reminds me of the words laid out in the Gospel of Matthew of the Lord's prayer forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgiveness is dependent on forgiveness from yesterday and from yesterday. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. This phrase that originates in the Psalms and there references obedience to God. It's about going closer to God. It's not obedience for obedience's sake, but to cleanse ourselves to be more like God, to gain a taste of the vision of God. It is only when we are pure in heart that we can see and feel and experience the righteousness of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I think what's important here is that this is not passive. It's not about being peaceful. It's an active practice of seeking peace and making peace work in life. And it doesn't mean like on a large scale, we don't have to solve the Middle East crisis. But the question is, how are we peacemakers right now and right here? And the final one, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this is mostly an historical For those of us in the United States, we must learn to know chance of being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now, there is a narrative in our country of Christ Christians of being persecuted. But just because somebody doesn't talk to you or thinks your strength is not persecution for the early church, being Christian meant that there was a good chance you would lose your life. That's what persecution is for. And so with these realities, we sort of put together, we paint a portrait 
Someone who is humble to God and others. Someone who possesses a great concern for the sake of the world and everyone in it. Someone who has a deep desire to be like Christ, demonstrated by a continual movement towards God's world. Someone who is quick to forgive and really needs. This is what it means to attune our hearts to the divine rhythm, to live in humility, to care boundlessly, to long for God to protect and support. So simple, so difficult to do. Now, while we won't be persecuted in this way, we have to remember that it's still counter-cultural. It's a radical way of being that flows against the currents of our world. And I think we could be working a lot there, where our society demands self-reliance and encourages self-aggrandizement. We proclaim dependence on God and dependence. Where our society, when our world encourages a primary care for the self, we care for the world with love, forgiveness, and compassion. While culture says that we should hunger for possessions and thirst for wealth, I want to inconsolably self-examination, a recognition, a recommitment to live life for life, and offers a new Let us rejoice. Let us remember with love and gratitude all of those who have gone before us. And let us go forth into the world, striving to be saints everywhere. Thank you.